Enchanté. You are listening to the What the Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. This episode is going to be especially helpful if you are a listener that is an influencer, content creator, blogger, photographer, freelancer. It is all about contracts and getting into the nitty gritty of what to look out for in your contracts, particularly for influencers. But um, if you are any sort of creative freelancer, I think that there's a lot in here that could be useful for you as well. And this episode was actually a chat, a clubhouse chat that I had done with some of the ladies from our diverse travel blogger group, Babes That Wander, that we are so excited to hopefully be getting off the ground soon. We had launched Babes That Wander at the beginning of 2020 and then the pandemic hit. So it had been put on pause, but now the babes are getting vaccinated. So we're super excited and hopefully going to be kicking that group off and um, back up and running. So that is exciting. But in the meantime, we did this clubhouse chat because we had done one a few weeks prior all about setting your rates and negotiation tips for content creators and influencers. I recorded and shared that one on the podcast. It was episode 12. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, definitely recommend going back and listening to it because it's we got a lot of good um, feedback from that. I learned some really great tips for like language and things to use when you know brands reach out wanting to gift you things but not wanting to pay you. So that was a really great episode and I recommend it if you are a content creator. And doing that episode made us realize based on some of the questions that it would be really helpful if we had a conversation around what to look out for in contracts because we have noticed more and more that brands are sometimes asking for things that are a bit unreasonable, like unlimited usage, um, super long exclusivity periods, your firstborn child, (laughs) maybe not quite that bad, but a lot of ridiculous things that we're starting to see. And so we have this conversation and we just um, really get into are like the things that we look out for, red flags and contracts, um, protection, like clauses that are designed to protect us as the creators. And so while it's not necessarily as sexy of a topic as, you know, how much to charge for your Instagram posts, I think it's equally as important because if you don't have an ironclad contract, it doesn't matter what your rate is because brands, you know, something could happen and you might not get paid. And so contracts are really, really important. And it's surprised me how many bloggers I have met that maybe they're even doing this full time or maybe they have huge accounts, um, but they're they're kind of relatively new to this at, at like having it as their full time business. It surprises me how many people I meet that tell me that they don't have their own contracts. They just did a campaign and they didn't even use any kind of contract like their own or from a brand. So always have a contract. We'll get into all of those details. I also want to let you know that I have a great freebie download for you. I have decided to make my personal contract that I use for campaigns available for you to download and use for free. So you can grab that at the show notes. It'll be at whatthefab.com slash influencer dash contract. So you can head there and grab it for free. It'll be in a Google Doc, so you can make a copy, you can edit it however you want to put your business's information in there. You can add clauses, remove whatever you want to do. But I just feel so strongly that if you are in this business trying to be in this business, you need to be using contracts and you need contracts that protect you and not the brand. And I know it can be really confusing and people aren't sure 
where to start. So I just decided, you know what, you can grab mine and use it as a template. And anytime that you are negotiating with a brand and landing a deal and they don't have their own contract that they like to use, you can go ahead and use this one. So again, you can download it for free at whatthefab.com slash influencer dash contract. Um, I'm going to roll the audio for you and just kind of, you know, cut me some slack for the audio quality because it's just a clubhouse chat, but the content I think is there and helpful if you are a content creator. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to say a thank you if you have left a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you have not, please take a second to do so. It takes literally two seconds and it helps me out so much as I grow and build this podcast. And if you have not subscribed yet, be sure to do that through whatever platform it is that you listen through. I do these episodes once a week. So hold me accountable, subscribe so that I know know someone is listening on the other end as I release these. It's always really exciting to like hit publish and then see the listens, uh, the listen numbers start to like increase. So it's really fun to be in your ear every week. And with that, I will just play our clubhouse chat. So we are here to talk about kind of the nitty gritty of brand partnership, uh, partnership contracts. Um, last uh, couple weeks ago, we talked about brand partnerships, kind of some uh, key topics there. But, you know, people have been asking what are the, the things that we should be looking for in the contracts or if we're creating our own, um, you know, what should be included. So here we have some of the lovely ladies from um, uh, the Babes at Wonder, which is our collaborative travel group that we have. We haven't been traveling uh, yet, but we hope to. And we also celebrate diversity and inclusion and everything that's going on talking about this big topic. So some of the girls here are going to first introduce themselves and then we're going to kind of get into the the main topic and talk about those things. So ladies, if you would like to introduce yourselves very quickly, kind of just give a who you are, what you do, and then um, we'll get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. My social media is under Lauren Cakes. Uh, I am located in downtown Salt Lake City, and I post mostly about fashion and beauty. I am a mid-sized fashion blogger, so I like to focus on outfits that make your body look great and you feel great. And um, I'm happy to be a part of this group. So thanks for joining. Hi, everyone. My name is Jessica. I'm the blog Miss More Style. I've been on a blogger since 2013 and I focus on affordable fashion and lifestyle uh, but with like an eye for things that have a high-end feel or look because I have expensive taste but I myself am also on a budget and I am also happy to be part of this panel today. Hey everyone my name is Elise. I write the travel and lifestyle blog What the Fab. I've been blogging since 2012 and two years ago I left my corporate job at Google to blog full-time. And I am super passionate about supporting other women and getting them comfortable with negotiating, discussing rates, talking real numbers. Um, and I also wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple other groups that are a couple other women that are part of our group. Um, they are based in Texas. So as you can imagine, things are pretty crazy for them right now. But Casey from Streets Beats Eats is uh, a really fantastic follow for midsize fashion and body positivity. And then Jessica from My Curly Adventures. She has an underscore at the end of her handle. She does really great travel guides for finding hidden gems in Texas. Um, so I wanted to mention those ladies as well. Oh, and on Instagram, I'm at WTFab. Hi, guys. My name is Greta, and I am a style and travel blogger out of Nashville. My blog is GretaHoller.com, and I have been blogging since 2016, and I write about tall girl style. I'm 5'10". And then I also write about places um, my husband and I travel to, as well as everything you need to know about coming to Nashville, Tennessee, a.k.a. the Bachelorette capital of America. And I'm excited to get started today. And I am Aisha of livingleft.com. I'm a fashion, beauty, and luxury lifestyle blogger that talks about how to live your luxurious lifestyle while staying on a budget. And I've been blogging probably for the past five years. And it's also kind of changed along the lines of I also include motherhood now. So I talked about the child in the background. But again, for those who are joining, we are the Babes That Wonder group. And we're going to be talking today about those little detailed things in brand partnership contracts that you want to look out for. Make 
make sure that they're included so that as whether you're reading um, ones that are sent by the brands or creating your own, you're making sure that you're covered. So let's start out, ladies, by first talking about the main things to look for in a brand contract if it's sent by the brand. Um, maybe some things that brands try to slip in there that you definitely should be looking for to make sure you're covered or uh, things that you just want to make sure are included in those brand contracts. I think the first thing that I always look for is in perpetuity. <laughs> that's like the number one red flag. That's like the first thing that I, that I go into the contract and look for because you never ever want to sign a contract that want, where they want to use your contact or sorry, content in perpetuity. And then also like the license for where they want to use that. I've seen contracts where they sneak that in, where it's like, basically they want to use your likeness, your content, anywhere from a billboard to a TV ad to their social media, their website, like literally everywhere. So that is one thing that unfortunately I see pretty commonly. And that's the first thing that I circle and tell them to change. Um, go ahead, Lauren. You're about to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to, I mean, I have a, an entire list of things. I was going over a contract yesterday. And so I flagged all of the things that I really look for. Um, but you go ahead, Aisha, and then I will talk. No problem. All right. Sounds good. Um, the one major thing that I look for is any in the compensation. So one, to make sure that the rate that I uh, negotiate for is included, but also something I've been seeing getting slipped into um, a clause that's been getting called out by a lot of influencers is brands have started putting in this statement that says this rate is only guaranteed to pay if a certain threshold is reached. You know, a lot of, a lot of brands have this expectation that there needs to be an ROI, which of course I, I completely agree. But of course, as influencers, we can't force someone to click the button and buy it, which is just where we are. So one thing I've been seeing is some brands have been putting in this, oh, I'm not going to pay you the full amount unless um, out of your followers, we get at least a hundred clicks. Um, and it could be more or it's one percent of your following. So that's one thing I've definitely been keeping an eye out for just because I've been seeing it um, in some of my contracts as well as in some of the contracts that um I've actually been hearing from other influencers saying, you know, this is happening. What do we do about it? There was actually a discussion in the reward style Facebook group that has a lot of bloggers and influencers this morning. And somebody was talking about a brand that came back after a collaboration and they weren't happy with the amount of return. In this specific instance, it was link clicks. They were asking for a certain number of link clicks, but they didn't communicate that to the influencer. So oftentimes when you get a contract, there will be a lot more nitty gritty, as our group says, that maybe wasn't talked about in the email. And I I don't like to get all the way to the contract and then have to go back to the brand and say, Hey, I want you to change this, this and this, this doesn't sit right with me. Um, I would rather have that all hammered out before the contract even hits my email. So a way to do that is to make sure that you are communicating with the brand what they are hoping to get out of the collaboration before they even send the contract your way. So make sure that you're asking asking them, what are you looking for? Is it content rights, aka image rights or use of your images in ad campaigns? Are they looking for link clicks? Are they looking for sales? Are they looking for brand awareness? All of these things are different ways or metrics, if you will, that a brand can track how a campaign is doing. And I like to get that taken care of before the contract even comes. That way there's no miscommunication. This episode is brought to you by Flowdesk. Flowdesk is an incredible email marketing service provider, and they are the platform that I use for my email campaigns for What the Fab. The platform is so intuitive and easy to use. It's very drag and drop. And best of all, it's aesthetic AF. The templates are beautiful, and you can easily add your own brand colors to it to make sure that your emails look and feel like you. I used to use MailChimp back in the day, but after trying Flowdesk out about a year ago, I was in love and I know you will be too. You can give Flowdesk a try for 30 days free. And if you want to keep them, which I know you will, you can use my referral link to lock in a 50% off price at $19 a month and lock that in forever. You can get this offer and try it for free at whatthefab.com Flowdesk. And that is spelled F-L-O-D-E-S-K. 
That's whatthefab.com slash flowdesk. I can't wait to see what stunning emails you create. Okay, let's get back to the episode. I always like to check for exclusivity. Like Lauren said, I definitely prefer to discuss that before we get to the contract stage, but I have had it happen many, many times where, for example, just happened this morning, I had been discussing exclusivity with a brand and it's a year long partnership. So a year is a very long time to be exclusive to one category. And they had laid out the different brands that were part of basically their competitors that I would not be able to work with. And they also were requesting that I not tag them in any any photos just organically. And we had come to an agreement. When I reviewed the contract this morning, they also had slipped in Amazon, which is obviously a huge marketplace and retailer that I link to very frequently on my stories, hadn't been discussed at all. And so I had to go back to the brand and discuss with them, like, can we just focus it on this specific brand category? And I can still potentially work with Amazon and link to them in the future. And they agreed to that. But like if I hadn't read through that competitors list and that exclusivity section with a fine tooth comb, I would have missed that. So I always, always check for exclusivity. And even if we've discussed it, and I think we've hammered out the details, it's always best to double check it within the contract and see like what is inked there and what is in writing. I always look for photo rights in a contract because especially in travel blogging, that's one of the ways that you can make money. So I always double check and make sure that the brand doesn't say, oh, any photos you take, we have access to, we own, we can do whatever we want with them. And I always put in a clause saying that if I catch them using photos without my permission, they have to pay me a buttload of money. This is more common, I believe, in, in my experience in travel contracts. Like if you're working with a hotel or a tourism board, they ask for a folder of your photos at the end of the visit and they want to use it in marketing and social media and on their website, anything and everything. So I always make sure to go over that with a fine tooth comb because, you know, you don't want to go on a Hyatt website one day and look up and your photo is there and they never paid you for it. And they have the rights to all of your photos. Greta, could you give an example of how much money you would charge them if they used your photo without your permission? So in my contract that I send to brands, I have on there that they have 24 hours to take the photo down. And if they don't take it down within 24 hours, my lawyer sends them an invoice for $1,000. And then after the initial 1000 it goes up by, I believe, 200 a day until they they pay me. Because if after the initial warning, they I have it in my contract that they have to pay up to a certain amount. Um, if they want to buy my photos, I have a three-month contract and a six-month contract that they can use the photo for, or they can buy the rights outright. But um, yeah, you should always charge brands to be using photos on their websites and in their marketing materials. So as Greta just kind of was sharing some things that she does in those cases. Ladies, have you all ran into an issue that you were going back and forth with a brand? Um, The contract came and there was just something that wasn't right in the contract. Um, And if you can share that experience and then like tell tell the um, people in the room what you did to handle that. So it still remained professional. You didn't kind of burn that bridge. And it's a big fear with people is I don't want to come back and burn the bridge. I'm just going to let it happen. Um, and you know how you professionally would handle that and advise people to do so. I'll go ahead and go. Um, one of the things that comes up frequently is the photo rights. And again, this is why I like to talk about this type of subject before the contract even hits my email. Photo rights are often snuck into contracts. Um, like I think, I believe it was Greta said, or maybe it was Jessica about in perpetuity, um, brands will try to get the licensing for your photos and that means that they can use it wherever. So like if they have the license to your photos, they could use it on a billboard without asking you for their permission. And that's not okay in my book. Um, That could hinder future collaborations with other brands. Maybe um, it could, I don't know. There's just a lot of reasons why you don't want to give a brand your photo rights for forever. And then the other thing that I've had happen before that was a little bit questionable, actually a lot questionable. I worked with a brand and in their contract, they said that I couldn't talk about political topics. And underneath that, a sub topic of that was birth control, religion, 
And it was very strange to me. I don't often talk about those things on my social media, but I was working long-term with this brand um, for like a year. And I really didn't feel comfortable with them having that control over my brand. If I wanted to mention birth control or religion, that should be my right. And so I asked them to remove that. And they actually were really, really capable of doing that. And they were understanding. So just make sure that if you ever see anything in a contract that you're not comfortable with, that you bring it up with the brand. Because oftentimes the brand rep that you're talking to was just given this contract by their legal representative and they're more than happy to be flexible with the contract. I was going to say, I had something similar happen, um, which was really interesting. And I handled it in a certain way where there was a clause that said, um, you know, certain things I can't talk about. Um, and one of them actually included race. Um, I couldn't say anything that was someone would take as racially charged um, and actually went and asked the brand back saying, I saw this, like, can you define what this means? Like, I'm not someone who's going to say racist things, but I wanted them to put clarification about anything mentioning race. Um, and they brought up, of uh, you know, within the term of the contract, um, I couldn't talk about anything that had anything to do with race, which I felt very offended by, um, because of who I am. And I do talk about race, um, just as, you know, from the position and diversity. Um, so I actually went back to the brand and kind of explained my platform. I sent links actually to my about page saying, you know, just so you know, this is who I am. Um, I've always talked about this This is the community I have and they're looking for that content. So for you to limit me and what I can say is not aligning with who I am. Um, which just wouldn't be uh, a partnership that would, you know, be good for any either one of us. If they're not actually supportive of who I am, then, you know, what is the point of working with me? Um, and they took it very well. Um, they were like, you know what, we need to look deeper into this and we completely understand where you're coming from. I didn't end up working with the brand at the time. They did come back and say, we removed it. You still want to move forward. But I think because it rubbed me the wrong way, because that clause was in there in the first place, I was just like, you know, this is not the brand I want to work with. I mean, I think that's one thing that like everyone needs to, to, to know when you're working with brands and reading those contracts. If there's something in a contract that just doesn't align with you and they're trying to control you and you don't feel that way, it may be a brand that you may not want to work with. So that's something that just happened to me. Lady, have you had anything else happen to you before or anything that you feel like you want to bring up that you saw in brand contracts that tried to trap you or just had bad experiences? One lesson that I had to learn the hard way, and this might sound like, duh, but I'm going to say it anyways, was that you always want to make sure that you get the countersign and fully executed version of the contract in the document. And sometimes I have to like really chase brands like I have my own contract, but sometimes brands have their contract that they prefer to use. And when they send it to me, you know, I sign it and send it off right away and I ask for the countersign version. Sometimes, you know, PR agencies or influencer marketing people at, at companies, they're like juggling so many different influencers and campaigns that they're working on that if I don't follow up with them, they don't send me the countersign version. And so an example of when I realized how important this was, I was working on a campaign and it was a combination of sharing content on my channels. And then I was also planning an influencer event for them in San Francisco. And uh, it was an app that they basically are focused on connecting women for networking. And about midway through the planning, they decided they wanted to cancel their event. They, I think maybe they hadn't gotten like their second round of VC funding like they were planning on. And so they were just like really trying to reel things back. And of course, I was frustrated because I had already done half of the work for the planning. And so when I asked for to be compensated, 50%, it ended up getting kicked up to the CEO because the influencer marketing person I was working with was basically telling me no. And I was like, you know, it's, it's really ironic that your app is based on connecting and supporting women. And you say this is your mission, but you're trying to rip me off here. So eventually, when I was chatting with the CEO, he was trying to play it off as like, well, I'm looking at the contract and my team actually didn't sign it. And I was like, shit. I mean, he was right, but his team was the one that sent me the contract in the first place. Ultimately, I did end up getting paid, I think, because they were worried that I would have like gone, you know, and publicly shared like the irony of this, which is 100% true. I definitely would have. Um, 
but that was just something that I learned. And so now like I do have to chase people sometimes to get that countersigned fully executed document. Um, a weird clause that I found in a contract recently was a modesty clause. It was with a grilling brand that I was working with and they had a clause in the contract saying that if they found my outfit to be too revealing or my hemline to be too short, they would deduct my payment by half. And so, um, luckily my lawyer caught that and we went back and forth and I had them take it out eventually because as a style blogger, like we express ourselves through our clothing and I'm not going to wear like a dress that I would go clubbing in Miami and for a grilling campaign. But I just thought who's to sit there and tell me what's modest or what's decent or what's not. So just little things like that to always look out for when working with campaigns it's, it's something that's so weird and so stupid but i mean i i wouldn't put it past a brand to maybe you know deduct payment for something like that one thing that i remember noticing a lot like a couple years ago and i have seen less of it now which is good is i remember a lot of contracts that i got especially like for coke i worked with like coca-cola brands pretty consistently a couple of years ago. And I remember always in their contracts, they would always say like that they don't want you to be political, not just in their content and posts that you're creating for them, but in general, like they wouldn't work with you if they had went on your feed and saw that you had been at all political in any way. And so I always sort of like toned myself down in certain ways just to make sure I could still get these partnerships. But then I know in the last like couple, like the last year, two years, like I've become extremely outspoken. And I think a lot of other people have as well, considering different events that have happened. And I've been seeing this clause less in contracts now, much less, which is great because I think, you know, what is political and like we all have this platform and are we supposed to stay silent on issues that, you know, really bother us? So that's one thing that I think is a positive direction and hopefully it keeps going that way. Yeah, Jessica, I can relate to that politicalness. I've seen that in contracts as well. But also when I was a teacher, I felt like I couldn't be as open just for fear of putting my job in danger. I'm really happy that brands are more aware of that type of thing. In fact, I've had a couple people, brand agents that I, I've talked to in the past, reach out to me and say that I'm grateful that I've become more um, outspoken about my political beliefs. And so oh, it's a really great thing that people are looking at that. And back to what Greta was saying about the modesty clause, I noticed that she didn't mention, and I'm not sure, Greta, correct me if I'm wrong. I the contract didn't mention like the hemline had to be a certain length or like a certain amount of cleavage couldn't be shown. I'm going based off of what I've seen in my contracts because I've had a contract that said that cleavage couldn't be shown. And I, I think that that is such a subjective thing. How, how could you judge that without somebody saying like, okay, three inches below the collarbone. So those type of things are really, really red flags for me in contracts because you don't want somebody to look at it and make an automatic judgment based off of what they feel and their bias. One other thing that I went to call that actually recently happened, and I mean, it may not be applicable to everyone here or even anyone here right now. But one thing that was thrown in for a lifestyle brand on my contract that I, I fortunately caught was they were actually requiring me to include my child in the photo, which is not something as a parent I, I, I actually offer. If I happen to throw him in naturally, that's, that is, should be my choice. But they actually said that the payment and the contract was for both of us. And my response to them was going back and saying, you know, you're, you're talking to the representation of, you know, living lesh. Um, my son doesn't have representation. He is not an influencer. And at the end of the day, if he was, you'd be paying for double the price, not, not for, you're not paying for one person, you're paying for two. I mean, I said it in a little bit more of a nicer way, but it was kind of one of those things where I didn't want someone to dictate how I was going to create the content and who was going to be in it. And I feel like um, I've heard other bloggers or influencers who've also said like there were some people that required them to have their significant other in there, their their spouse or, you know, partner. And it wasn't even a brand that was like 
you know, it may have like had that feeling and moving for Valentine's day, but I feel like it should be a choice. Um, so you kind of want to make sure that you're reading through the scope of the work and making sure that there's not something where they're requiring you to include it because at the end of the day, if they are requiring it, you sign it, you take the photos without those inclusions, they're going to come back and, and require you to do a reshoot and they're not going to pay you for it. Cause they're going to say, you didn't go with the scope of the work. You didn't go with the brand guidelines. You want you're, you're not going to um, be compensated for a reshoot. And then basically that's your time and money. Yes. Just to piggyback off of that. I've had several campaigns in the past where they wanted to have like multiple people in the shot, but they, they wanted it to be like me and like three of my friends. And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> that's fine. And I'm sure I could find friends that would be willing to be in the shot with me, but that's also their time. Maybe they are also influencers themselves. Maybe they're not, but you know, they know that they're going to be in a, you know, hashtag ad on my page. And so whenever I get those types of requests, I always go back to them and say, look, like I can totally find people to be in the shot with me, but you're going to have to pay me X amount more so that I can compensate them for, you know, taking the time out of their day to come and do this shoot with me to have their photo in this ad on my feed, et cetera. So that's definitely something because I feel like there's been certain campaigns where the brand kind of pressures you into just like, oh yeah, just grab your friends. We want at least three other people in the picture. And it's like, well, it's not that easy. So like, just like sort of putting your foot down and saying like, you know, these other people's time is also valuable. I can't just, you know, ask for a favor all the time from people, if that makes sense. And I have campaigns where they want me to feature my husband, you know, if it's for a certain brand and my husband is a mental health professional and he doesn't want his clients to somehow stumble upon my Instagram page and say, oh, well, there's my therapist with an influencer drinking wine for Valentine's Day. So, you know, always just making sure that they don't want more than one person in the photo. And like Jessica said, if they do, make sure that they're okay with it and make sure you charge more for those people's time and energy. I've definitely come up against that as well. And it usually has to do with campaigns for alcohol brands because alcohol brands have these weird kind of like rules and regulations around how they can advertise. And there can't be any hint of excessive drinking or drinking by yourself. So that's why like all the alcohol brands that I've worked with, they always require at least one other person to be in the shot with you. And so one workaround that I found for that is doing kind of, you know, like the follow me to style photo, like where basically I'll use my husband's hand and he'll be cheersing me. Um, and that's always been enough to indicate like I'm not drinking alone by myself. Um, and that usually appeases the brand. But I would yeah, I would recommend discussing that beforehand and making sure that that will suffice for them. Another thing that I wanted to mention that I have in my contracts that I've had to kind of pull out and use a couple of times is my payment terms and also what happens if you are late in paying me. And so the way that I have it set up is, you know, we agree beforehand what the net payment timeframe is. If it's 30 days, brands always have kind of different requirements of how long it takes for their finance team to make that payment. But then if any payment is not made when it's due, it starts to accrue interest. And so I add 10% per month. And I've had to bill brands for that a few times because, you know, obviously I'm going to send a courtesy follow-up. But if you're ignoring me, it's some kind of, you know, consequence for that. I think that brings up a very great point when it comes to that net payment, the payment terms. I think the one thing everyone kind of falls into is this thought that when a brand sends you a contract and they have their terms in there, that that's non-negotiable. I found out that those net payment terms with some brands can be negotiated. I try to default them to net 30 because I'm, I'm assuming like everyone else, you kind of want to pay, be paid sooner than later. Our bills come every month. They don't come every 60 to 90 to how many days they try to put in there. So be open to negotiating that if that's something that you would like. Some brands will go back and say, let's check with legal or billing to see if we can do that. Some will say, you know, that's our hard, fast terms. I think can kind of lead us into our next point that we can talk about. Um, so ladies have their been anything in your brand um, brand deal contracts that you've originally thought you couldn't negotiate or change, but then soon discovered that you could? And then how do you go about negotiating those? One thing that I always, 
always try to negotiate is the amount of revisions and edits that the brand has over my drafts. So for instance, the brand that I'm currently working with that I looked over the contract yesterday, they wanted me to send in my idea for the campaign, including some past or previous photos that I had taken that were similar to my ideas um, for them to approve before I even went through with uh, shooting the campaign and going through with that. And then they also had a spot in the contract that said that they had the right to revise and ask for a reshoot, which would be on my dime. So they basically were saying that I would get their approval for my idea. I could shoot the campaign with the idea that they approved. And if they don't like the photos, once I uh, send them into them already edited and everything, they could say no to those. And that is a huge waste of time. It's a huge waste of effort and resources. And so I always try to go back to the brand and say, hey, can we make it so that there is a fee if you ask for a reshoot? The fee is up to you. I tend to do that based on my time that I spend doing the reshoot. So some people hire photographers, which your rate would probably be more. But I just don't want to have to work out more time in my schedule to have to reshoot something that I already got the approval for. I always try to negotiate down the time period for exclusivity. I also, uh, similar to what you were saying, Aisha, I, I look at the payment terms. So for the year-long contract that I, I mentioned earlier, when I took a look at that contract, the payment terms they had set was that I would get paid at the completion of the work. So I wouldn't get paid for a year and I am doing monthly posts and stories. And I was like, that is crazy to me. So I asked like, can you actually pay me 50% upfront and 50% after completion of the work? And it took them a couple of weeks to like get it approved by the brand's legal team and everything, but they did revise that. So I always take a look at, at the payment terms. I think, I mean, those are main, great main points that we brought up. So what I'm going to do now is kind of, again, reset the room. Um, and then I'm going to open it up for kind of Q&A. But then if, if people don't have questions, there's other topics we can talk about. And then maybe we'll just generate some questions. Um, but as we reset the room, just want to introduce everyone who's kind of been, you know, coming in um, and slowly uh, sharing. We are the group, um, the Babes That Wonder. Um, we are part of the group. We do have some ladies that couldn't be here with us today because they're dealing with the, the, uh, the Texas weather. Um, so we're, we're keeping them in our thoughts and hoping that, you know, everything's going well for them and they are making it through as best they can. Um, but we're sharing today, um, kind of the nitty gritty of brand partnership contracts, what to, what to look for, um, what to, um, kind of put in your own, if you are creating your own and things that can be negotiated as well. Um, so if you have questions at this time, um, there is in the bottom right hand corner, a little raise button has like a little hand up. Um, so if you click that, we will be happy to bring you up to speak and ask your question and we'll answer it. So as we're kind of waiting for anyone to ask any questions, I think one of the other um, things that we kind of touched upon, but didn't really go into is ladies, what do you all do or what, how have you gone about creating your contracts if a brand doesn't send it? So it doesn't send one. Cause um, I mean, one of the things that often happens is some brands will come and say, uh, we don't have a contract. Um, and they try to move forward. I mean, there's a lot of brands who do that. They just like, you know, we'll just do it without a contract, um, which is never a great thing to do. So ladies, at what point did you create your own contract and how, like, what does that, uh, I guess, template kind of look like? I created one pretty early on. And by created one, I mean, like I grabbed a template from online and then updated it. So you can go to Rocket Lawyer and do a free seven day trial and you can just download whatever templates you need. I would recommend grabbing their general services agreement and their NDA template. I've used both of those a lot. And then for the general services agreement, I just updated some of the language and added some things like the payment terms and the late fees that I mentioned. I had a lawyer review it and that's what I use and prefer to use anytime if a brand gives me the option like, oh, do you want to send your contract or should we send ours? I always send mine because any contract that a brand sends is designed to protect the brand and get them as much as possible in terms of you know usage rights and all that jazz. So I always opt for my own if that's an option. When I started my blog, I was working um, at the state of Tennessee and the girl that I and worked in the cubicle next to me was in law school. 
So she is my lawyer and she actually came up with my contact for me. And she's the one that I send whenever a brand doesn't pay me or they're doing something to piss me off. I just send them to her and she scares them until they pay me. But um, she came up with a contact template for me. We update it once a year to add or take out things. But I don't know if it varies by state, but she's a lawyer in the state of Tennessee where I am. I wish I could recommend her to everyone, but she only sees people in Tennessee. But I definitely recommend getting a lawyer to at least put a draft together for you to, to send to brands. Greta brings up a great point about where the lawyer is located. A lot of times in the contract, it'll state where legal matters need to be handled. So for instance, I'm in Utah. Maybe the contract is put through by a brand that is located in New York and they send me the contract. That means that they want the legal matters, aka court, if we go to court, to be handled in the state of New York. And they will put that into the contract. And so that really puts a hindrance on me if I ever need to go after them if they haven't paid me or if there's something unfair that happens in the campaign, I would have to go through the state of the of New York, which would put a huge, just a burden on myself. So make sure you're looking out for that. It looks like we have one question. Michael, would you like to ask your question? Yeah, actually, I just wanted to add, hi, Michael. Nice to meet everyone. Um, when you're talking about jurisdiction, which is what was just brought up, if you can't get jurisdiction put into, like if you're in Utah and they're in New York, make it somewhere like Ohio or Kentucky, somewhere that it's going to be difficult for both of you so that neither one of you have um, the advantage. So you don't give them the advantage. They don't, they only want the advantage because that's where their legal team is. And if they, if there's a legal matter, they're going to be more apt to try to settle because it's going to cost them more to go and hire an attorney in Kentucky, even if it's a huge brand. They don't have lawyers that are in the bar around the country. So just as a, as a point, but if you can get jurisdiction into your, you know, local jurisdiction, that's the best thing. And the other thing is you shouldn't do anything until you get, I think you guys are already talking about this, but until you get paid 50% and your 50% should cover any of your hard costs so that if you don't get the other 50%, you're not going out of pocket, just as a safety thing. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for adding that. So I, I've, I've looked at jurisdiction. My manager handles a lot of that, but I never really knew. And I kind of let him let him have that one. <laughs> so I guess another thing that we can talk about is, um, and I think this is just something that's happened, is if you're already signing a contract and you know something happens, how do you go about handling it? So I guess an example I can start with is this actually happened to me recently. I was working with a brand. Uh, we had signed on for a certain deliverables. And one thing that they added on was just kind of covering or doing extra stories for um, the way something was being being delivered. And as, as some people um, may, may know or not know, um, some of the agreements or things that you say or come to a conclusion with that you agree to in an email, in certain places, it can be held up as you agree to this and it can be actually used as um, contractual to a certain extent. But what happened was the, the situation happened in person where they came and not only was I expecting just to kind of film stories, they actually had me being filmed and in interviewed to use me in a commercial. So, of course, on the spot, I kind of just went and did it because I was, I was out in the middle of nowhere and I was like, you know, what, what do I do? And I think the one thing that can happen is you have these PR companies who are getting these contracts from brands or the brands are doing something they don't know, but it's not in your contract. Um, you can have something that you weren't obligated to do, remove at a later date or add it to a contract. There are things called addendums that can be added on. So I just want to kind of bring that up um, and see if any of the other letters had insight on, you know, things getting added after an initial contract has been signed or if a requirement is brought up afterwards and how you went about handling that. That's super interesting, Aisha. Um, it, definitely made me think of an experience I had where I was working with a brand and part of the contract was that I would attend a live event in San Francisco and it involved like hiking at Land's End and like this party afterwards. And when I got to the event, they were having everyone sign a photo waiver. 
And it basically said that like we can, we're, we have a professional photographer on site at the event and, you know, we're allowed to use these photos in your likeness any way that we choose, whether it's in, you know, print, a commercial, what have you. And that obviously was not something that was in my contract. It wasn't something that the brand or the PR agency had told me about. So I just didn't sign it. <laughs> I I think it's tricky because when you're in person there and that's kind of like thrown on you, you just want to be a good partner and do what the brand is is asking. But if you think about it, if you're going to use my image in a magazine or a, a billboard or something, I absolutely need to be compensated for that. And I tried to do it in a way that didn't really ruffle any feathers. You know, there was kind of a lot going on at the event. And I just told the person checking everyone, everyone in and having a sign like, you know, I, I don't think I can sign this. And they were trying to convince me like, Oh, well, everyone's signing it, blah, blah. blah. And I just kind of walked away. I was like, Okay, let me like, see if I can um, talk to someone else about it. And I just kind of left the sign and table and just never signed it. This episode is brought to you by Tailwind. If you're a blogger or you have any type of website and you want to drive traffic to it through Pinterest, you need Tailwind. It's a social media scheduling tool that gets real results in less time. You know I am all about that. I use it to schedule all of my pins and you can sit down, take 30 minutes and schedule your pins for the entire week and Tailwind will automatically push them live throughout the week at the optimum times when your followers are the most active. The other thing that's amazing about Tailwind is the community feature through tribes. So you share your pins in other like-minded tribes or groups, and you all repin each other's pins, giving everyone's content a huge boost. It's the epitome of rising tides raise all ships. I've seen my website traffic from Pinterest go from a few thousand visitors a month to tens of thousands of hits just from Pinterest alone, and this really began to climb when I started using Tailwind. You can also use it to schedule your Instagram posts. Again, I I am all about time batching for max efficiency, so you can just sit down, take an hour, and schedule all your Instagram posts, and Tailwind will automatically push them live for you throughout the week. You don't have to do anything beyond that. You don't even have to open your phone up. It's amazing. So if you'd like to try Tailwind for free, I've got a referral link for you. Go to whatthefab.com Tailwind for a free trial plus a $15 credit if you do decide to hop on a paid plan in the future. That's whatthefab.com slash tailwind, and tailwind is spelled tail, T-A-I-L, wind, W-I-N-D. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I think I think those are always things that happen, especially with, with events. I've seen those as you get there, and they're saying, you know, we just want you to go. We want you to attend, which is something if you don't know, you can charge for. They want you to attend. They want you to, you know, do maybe an Instagram post or some stories. When you get there and you start signing other things, and they can use your likeness in commercials, in YouTube videos, in, in other aspects where it, it becomes something where you're like, you know, I want to be kind of compensated for this, you know, if I'm being used in marketing. And I think that's also comes to the other point is, you know, we were talking about this earlier with the, the photo rights is if you go to an event and they use it for marketing, you can end up in an ad where they're generating revenue from you. So you kind of want to make sure that anything where your likeness is being used or you're being used, or even like if they're getting clips of your, your, um, your voice, which can be manipulated to say something else that you're making sure that you're covered, that if you're releasing something and you can't go back and say, I'm not going to, to, to allow you to use this, you've already kind of signed over those rights. Ladies, did you have anything else that you kind of wanted to add on to that topic? I mean, it can be done if you say no. I went to an event in Nashville and they were filming for a really crappy reality show. And I told them that I didn't want to be on camera and I didn't want my name and likeness. So they put a red post-it on my shirt. And that way the camera crew and the photographers knew that I didn't consent. And they just made sure not to shoot around me. So if you say no, it can be done. You just have to stick to your guns and be kind of ballsy about it. Hey, Alicia. If you have a question, you just want to add something. We, we hey. Anything. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? Um, I just wanted to add something. Um, and, and this is awesome that you ladies are putting this room together. And I think it's such an important topic to cover. So kudos to you all for contributing for this for this important topic. One thing that I wanted to add to, which is something that I learned from my partner. So um, I guess for, I should probably introduce myself for those of you guys who don't know 
who I am. My name is Alicia. I am a lifestyle and travel blogger. I have been blogging for almost 10 years now, and I've been full-time for about four years. My boyfriend is a professional food and hospitality photographer. So he actually had a lot more experience than I did creating contracts on his own because his whole thing is he has to create contracts and he really gets in the nitty gritty of usage and everything like that in his contracts because that's his bread and butter. And one thing that I kept seeing in my contracts that's super sneaky that I had no idea about until I met him was there's a clause called work for hire. And if you see that clause in your contract, run. Um, or at least just tell the brand about it. Um, So basically, I had no idea. But anytime you see the words work for hire in a contract, that means that the company owns a... I don't know why. Oh my gosh, sorry. My phone is going off like crazy right now. But um, anytime you see that clause work for hire, that means that the company owns a copyright of your work from the start to the finish. So they could come back and that could bite you in the the behind. I'm trying not to curse here. But yeah, that could really come back and and, uh, really mess you up later on because that really even means to like everything from your raw files to your content in the edits, everything from top to bottom. So the first thing that we do when we get a contract, we specifically search for the the keywords work for hire. And if we see that, we just tell the brand that they need to remove it. And seriously, guys, just remove that from your contract because that's like at least five or six figures worth of, of work that you might be giving to a brand for no reason. That's really interesting, Alicia, because... I've seen that in my contracts, but I've also gone back to the photo rights and it said that I, the creator, still owned those and everything. So thank you for saying that because I probably have fallen into that trap. Anytime I got you. And it's really, it's really sneaky. Like it's, it's just a really like garbage thing that brands do sometimes and it's contradicting, but yeah, don't sign anything. Just get that work for hire taken out. Love you guys. You guys are doing great. Thank you so, so, so much for adding that in because it's definitely something I didn't even know as well. But I think at this point, we're getting to the end of the hour. We don't want to hold everybody um, all night. So I just kind of want to kind of close out the room and saying if anyone has any specific questions, feel free to raise your hand. I'll bring you up. But if there are no questions or you're just like, you know, I don't want to speak in there. I know speaking here can be daunting. Feel free to reach out to us ladies. I mean, I could kind of speak for myself and also speak for the rest of the ladies is that we, you know, we're always here to support each other in the influencer space. So if it's like a quick question, you're just kind of like, you know, I saw this, what would you do? The ladies may, may be open to helping you. You can go and click on our individual profiles, follow us on Clubhouse, follow us on Instagram, kind of follow along on um, any of our other social media to see what we're doing. But I guess we're going to sign off. Thank you all for coming again. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you're an influencer, content creator, I hope that it was helpful for you and you learned some tidbits and things about what you need to be including in your contracts or looking out for to make sure that they're not in your contracts. And also a reminder to grab this episode's freebie. It is my personal contract that I use for my sponsored influencer campaigns. I'm putting it out there for free because I just believe so passionately that y'all need to be using contracts. And I know it can be confusing and people are kind of unsure where to start. So grab this template, use it for yourself for your future sponsored campaigns. You can get it at the show notes and that will be found at whatthefab.com slash influencer dash contract. So go ahead and use that and enjoy. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, your contracts are just so, so important. And, you know, making sure that they are ironclad and you're reading through them with a fine tooth comb is only going to help you and your business. So with that, I will just ask you sweetly one more time if you could rate the podcast. If you have not already, it takes literally two seconds and it helps me out so much. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could hit subscribe through whatever platform it is that you listen through. So you'll get a little notification when the next episode goes live. And lastly, share this episode on your stories. Tag me at WTFab. I'd love to reshare it. I'd love to hear what your biggest takeaway was. And with that, I will be back in your ear next week.